This morning we're in uh, Psalms 1, and we're going to be in the book of Psalms for the next two months. Um, We often call this our summer of Psalms, and so what we'll do is is very often during the summer, we'll just preach through different Psalms. Um, This week we're in Psalm 1, next week we're in Psalm 2, but if you're starting to get a little anxious there, we're not going to go consecutively, and we won't be here 150 weeks. Um, we will just be preaching one and two, and then we'll be selecting some other psalms for the next couple months, for June and July. Uh, but what we have in the psalms is we have God's gift to us of how to praise Him. We, we read earlier that, that God is enthroned on the praises of His people. Well, how do we know how to rightly praise Him? Well, the beauty of it is He's given us this, this book of psalms, often called the Psalter. And so in, these, in this book are all of these songs given to us that we get to sing back to Him to worship Him. The beauty of it is that they're not all like perfectly happy songs. Some of them are, are songs where, where the, the, the person who's writing and the person who's singing are singing from a depth of sorrow, a depth of suffering. Some of them are from places of of sheer delight and joy where the the circumstances of their life are really matching the reality of who God is. And so they're singing this beautiful, upbeat song. The beauty of the Psalms is that usually, wherever you are in life, you can find something that would relate to you in the Psalms. And you can sing, God, this is is what I'm experiencing. And the Psalmist usually very, very seldomly, now there are a couple Psalms where it ends in this sitting in the circumstances, but usually they move beyond the circumstances to the truth and preach to their own soul who God is. They remind themselves of who God is and what He's done. And so this morning we're looking at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is the first psalm for a reason. Now, the psalms are are kind of taken and they're collected, a collected group of 150 psalms, and then somebody put them in a certain order. Now, we believe that God ordained that order, even as, as people were making these decisions, as people were deciding what would happen. And so all of Scripture is breathed out by God and ordained by Him for instruction and encouragement. And so this morning, we look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is quoted uh, by James Boyce. He says, It stands as a magnificent gateway to this collection of Hebrew religious verse. And it, it's the opening psalm, and the rest of the psalms are the exposition of this one psalm. And this one psalm gives us a very clear, uh, clear choice. You have two ways to live. You can live the way of the righteous, or you can live the way of the wicked. Now, if you're starting to have a little bit of an issue with that, I too have an issue with that. Like We come to this and we're like, man, that's... That's hard. You're seeing that there's only two ways. There's no, there's no middle ground, no third way, no middle way to navigate this life. It's either the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And I think as we unpack the song together, we're going to see that. But the beauty of it is that us walking in the way of the righteous, what we're going to find is that it's not depend, dependent upon our righteousness, on our obedience, on our ability to do all the right things, it really rests on the one who is righteous. You see, Psalms was written way before Jesus. But the person who wrote the Psalms is the same one who wrote Genesis and the same one who wrote Revelation. God wrote this for us. He's given us His Word. 
And so this morning when we look at the Psalms, we read something that was written before Jesus, but it points clearly to the One who would come. This blessed man who would walk in perfect righteousness for our sake. And then He grafts us into Him so that we too get to be righteous and walk in His righteousness. Now, all of that is, is kind of some heavy stuff. It's, it's a little bit um, tough for us to grasp in our heads and in our hearts. And so we need something that we need every time we come to God's Word. We need the Spirit of God that He says dwells in each of us. Look to the left and look to the right. If those people are in Christ, the Spirit of God is dwelling in them. And so He is in us and we need Him to speak to our hearts. Even as we hear with our ears what God would say, we need the Spirit to do a work in our hearts to where we would take hold of it and we would believe it. And it would have effect in our lives. And so let's ask Him. We have a God who cares, and so we can come to Him with our requests. And so we ask Him, Lord, would You do this thing that only You can do today? Lord, we just pray right now that as we read Your Word, as we read Psalm 1, as we hear the the, the two paths that are set before us, Lord, that we would um, trust You that that's true. God, and that instead of pressing into worldly wisdom, worldly counsel, that we would press into Your instruction, Your law, Your Word, which reveals who You are. And Lord, as we do that, that we would find our satisfaction, our delight, our happiness, our joy, our rest. God, and we would sit there and we would, we would stay there forever. Lord, even as we, as we walk down that path, Lord, that it's not just simply an entrance into it, Lord, but it's a steady, ongoing walking that is obtained by you and through you. Lord, and all of it would be for you, for your glory, Lord, that a people would be made righteous to declare your goodness and your holiness, as we've already talked about in our prayer of confession. God, I pray for uh, around, the people around the world, your people around the world who are gathering today to worship you, Lord, that they would uh, worship you in spirit and in truth, that they would lift high the name of Jesus, that, that we would be changed by your word today, by your spirit today, so that our lives would be a de- declaration of your power and your glory to those that need to see it and hear it. God, would you save the lost today, Lord? God, would you save those in here that are lost, that are searching for you, Lord? Would you show them that your way is the best way, that your truth is the best truth, and may they rest in it, may they be planted in it like a tree that's planted besides rivers of water. Lord, we thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at verse 1 and 2, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is both the, the crux or the heart of this psalm, and probably the heart of all of Scripture. Like if you, what, what we're doing is as we look at Scripture, we're looking at God's instruction, we're looking at God's commandments, and we're looking at it to see who God is. Because we want to know Him. Something has been stirred in our hearts, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that regeneration that's stirred in our hearts, that we would long to know God. 
He's begun this work. And so as we look to His Word, we begin to see who He is. It's the heart of the psalm. Sorry, I've got a technical issue that's really not working out for me. (laughs) And the psalmist is pointing us to two ways that we can live. Maybe you think that there are more ways to live, but the author of the psalm, uh, the author of Psalm 1 is pretty clear that there are only two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. We often hear that the world is not black and white, as a quote from J.B. Fesco, we often hear that the world is not black and white and that there are many gray areas, but the psalmist entertains no such ideas. He presents the two ways and, in a sense, introduces a conflict between them and the people who choose them throughout the rest of the Psalter. So the rest of the Psalms is really defining the way of the righteous. And what you see often is that the person who's, who's singing the psalm or the person who's writing the psalm or the person who, who is uh, speaking the psalm is actually struggling with walking in the way of the righteous and walking in the way of the wicked. Like they have, they're in the middle of that conflict. Sometimes you'll see that they feel like they're walking in the way of the righteous and there's people that are walking in the way of the wicked and they're asking, where is, where is the justice in this? How is this good when they're flourishing and I'm not? Especially when you get to Psalm 1 and it says, listen, the righteous are going to prosper. They're going to have prosperity. And yet, what we often do is we define what prosperity looks like. And God's saying, no, the prosperity that you have in me, and we're going to get to this, is that you rest in me. You have me. No matter what the other circumstances are, you have me. Fesco goes on to say that Psalm 1 is the foyer into the mansion of the whole Psalter. And we're given the directions in this psalm that guide us through all of the psalms and all of Scripture. Will we walk in the way of the righteous or in the way of the wicked? Jesus offered the same call. So if you, you think the psalmist is a little you know, out there by saying, hey, there's only two ways, Jesus, the Son of God, said the same thing in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It stand, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's two ways, two gates, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to life. So this morning, we're being called by the psalmist, walk in the way that is righteous. And the way of the righteous is defined in verse 1 by what it is not. And and we need to hear this today. Because we have a temptation to run to these other things. We hear them more clearly. They're louder. They're everywhere. The world wants to give us counsel that is not what God would say. It wants us to, to try to find our happiness and our satisfaction in other places than God. It wants us to find them in circumstances, in our own comfort in our own ability to control things, whether it's your weight, whether it's uh, your appearance, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, like all of these things, are, we're being tempted to control and to, to find our comfort in these places. And so we have to press in to what God says, and we have to listen clearly, because otherwise we're not going to hear it. Everything else is telling us the way of the wicked. The way of the wicked walks in the council of fellow wicked people. It stands with sinners and it sits with scoffers. 
You see, worldly counsel is deceptive because sometimes, sometimes it doesn't sound at all like God's Word. Sometimes it just sounds like something that you're going to be gratified in, you're going to have a comfort in, you're going to have a satisfaction in that doesn't sound anything like God's Word. But sometimes it sounds very close to God's Word, very close to God's instruction. And so it would deceive us and take us off the path of the righteous. Sometimes it sounds like, hey, if you would just try harder, you could do this thing. If you would just fix this small area of your life, the rest of your life is going to be just fine. And so it puts all of it back on us. Like, what makes us happy? What gives us joy? What makes us strong? Maybe you've been to a graduation recently, or or been on social media, or really had any interaction with the world whatsoever. You've heard this message. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Like, that's how how you're going to have a full life. That's what the good life is. Do what makes you happy. In an age where our awareness of our own mental health has moved to the forefront of everyone's lives, this is great advice. Like, it it's really is good. We, we need to live out of a place of health, out of a place of joy, not out of a place of despair and despondency. We were created to find happiness and satisfaction. Like, you look at Adam and Eve in the garden with God, they're the happiest people you'll ever even see. Like, that's, that's crazy. There's a satisfaction. They want for nothing. They have everything. And they have a God who walks with them, the God who created them and knows them perfectly. There's nothing hidden about them that they have to, that they have to run and hide from until the fall. And then what do they do? They run and hide. But in the garden, there's a satisfaction and a happiness. We're constantly going back and looking for that same satisfaction and happiness. Actually, there's a song about happiness that maybe you know. Maybe not some of you older folks, but maybe some of you younger folks. I love uh, Pharrell Williams. He's got a song called Happy. He says, because I'm happy. Right? (laughs) Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Because I'm happy. Like, it's just, it's trying to conjure up this happiness. But the reality is that there's a problem with the world's counsel, particularly in this song. You hear it in the chorus of the song. It says, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Somewhere we got those things crossed up. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. So happiness is is what's going to help you find out what truth is. But the Bible says that this is true, and truth is going to lead you into happiness. But we, and you see though that it sounds pretty close. Except the whole thing is twisted. The whole thing is flip flopped. The world feeds us this lie. And then if you believe in truth, if you believe in absolute truth, the world mocks you and scoffs at you. And so you could see that this, this progression in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not. And it's important, like Matt said, with holy, holy, holy. When they repeat things three times, it would be a way that the, the, the Hebrew authors would really emphasize something. And you see this repeated three times here. 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, who, do, who does not stand in the way of sinners. Right? Three times he's repeating this. He's driving home this emphasis like, what does the way of the righteous look like? It looks like not resting in the counsel of the world of the wicked. Not standing in the way of sinners and not sitting in the seat of scoffers. Some commentators believe that this is actually a progressive thing. That we kind of dabble in sin. We, we walk with sin. And then eventually we're so comfortable with sin that we'll stand and maybe have a conversation with it. And then we get to the point where we're so comfortable with sin that we'll actually just sit down and we'll like create a home together with sin. Like th- this progression of how sin enters in and weaves the counsel into our lives. Now I'm not sure if that's what the Hebrew author is saying. I think that you could maybe pull that, but, but he's definitely saying three times that there is a, there's a way not to live if you want to be happy and blessed. I see the sin at the heart of all sin is this desire that we have to live on our own. It says that on my own I can live. It's a, it's a scoffing of God. God, I don't need your instruction. I don't need your law. I don't need your way. I can make my own way. I'm not weak. I'm not desperate like those other people. And so you hear that from the world. Like There's a scoffing and a mocking that takes place. For anyone who would need anything outside of themselves for happiness and satisfaction. Now, there's also a, a growing understanding that we can't find that in ourselves. And so people are starting to look for community in other places. And they're looking for community in some really good places. But, but the reality is that the greatest community that you need is the community that you get from God. We already talked about Adam and Eve in the garden. You see them, they're satisfied. There's a joy and a peace there. Because they know the one who created them. They know who he is and what he said. Okay? But wait. The Christian Standard Bible translates this first verse as happy is the one. Where it says blessed is the man in the ESV, Christian Standard Bible says happy is the one. So wait a second. God cares about our happiness? He wants us to be happy? Yeah, that's beautiful. Like, there's a joy there that, that we would come to God and He would make us happy. He would be the fulfillment of our joy. Not only does He want you, but He's told you, want you to be happy, but He's told you how to be happy. Isn't that kind? Like, He knows the need that you have and He meets the need. What does He say? Blessed is the man, and if you skip from the first part of one to two, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. As you read law there, don't think rules. I mean, maybe. Think, think what, did, what did the law of God tell us? It tells us how to live. Yes, it does lay down some rules, but why? It's telling us who God is. The law of God is revealing the character of God. When you read the Ten Commandments, all the do-nots are telling you who God is. Don't lie because God is holy. He's separate from that. He tells the truth. 
Don't covet because you have everything that you need in God who supplies everything that you could possibly want or desire. Like all of these laws are telling us who God is. So what we have in the law, what we have in instruction, is God giving Himself to us. And so when the psalmist says that the righteous man, the happy man, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, he's saying, man, he delights in God Himself. He takes joy in his God. He meditates on it day and night. Day and night, there's really just one. It's either day or night. So if you're saying, well, how often does he meditate on it? He's saying day and night, all the time. Okay? Now, um, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will will do uh, a beautiful work here. And so don't feel condemnation, but think about the things that you meditated on in the last day and night. We need God to do a work in us. I think, you know, as we, as we think about that, like what have, I, what have I invested my time in? What have I invested my thoughts in? What shows have I watched? What have I done? What have I read? Where have I gone? Right, And so much of that has been about me, or maybe it hasn't. By grace, maybe you've been walking in this beautiful relationship with God where you're finding a, a, a full satisfaction. Man, you need to rejoice that God has given you the miracle of that gift. But if you look at your life and, you, and there's some conviction there, that's okay too, man, because the beauty of it is we have a God who forgives us of all of our unrighteousness, all of our sin, all of our time that we've invested in in places that don't matter. Blessed is a man who his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. So verse 1 and 2 give us the heart of the, heart of the psalm. Verse 3 and 4 give us this beautiful picture of the psalm. I want you to see that. Maybe some of you are more creative than I am. I'm not, not a creative soul. But some of you I know are. And so I pray that as you read this, as you see this tree, this, this word picture, that this would speak to you and this would draw you into a delight in God's law because you want to be this tree. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. See the first picture? It's a picture of the righteous one. Some uh, commentators think that the word planted there uh, should actually read transplanted because uh, few trees were planted, like grew up by the streams. They were actually, most of them grew out in the, there's just not a lot of streams <laughs> where, the, where the Psalms are being written. There's not a lot of rivers. It's mainly an arid desert. And so for a a tree to grow up by the stream, many of them had to be transplanted and moved to this place. But when they were planted there, they would begin to draw the life from the stream or from the river. And so you see this tree, and there's a couple things about trees that that I want us to see here. A tree is not moved. Right? A tree, once it's planted... It doesn't move itself, it stays there and it grows. Also, it's not moved um, except for maybe some supernatural <laughs> occurrences. It's not moved from its place 
by the wind. It stands in the wind. Tree is not moved. It stands there. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 gives us this beautiful picture of a tree also. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A tree is rooted and grounded. A tree doesn't move. The other beautiful thing about this tree is that it's vibrant. It has fruit, and it has leaves that have color on them. Like when everything else might wither away because it, it's lacking uh, water, this tree taps into the stream that it's planted by and it produces beautiful greenage and fruit. What's cool about fruit? The fruit doesn't help the tree at all. Like the fruit is not for the tree. The fruit is for everything around the tree. It's for the, everything that looks at the tree to see, wow, that's beautiful. And then things that eat fruit come up and they taste the fruit. Or the, the fruit falls and, and then it makes more trees. But the fruit is not for the tree itself. And so often we become, we're like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be that thing that has this satisfaction and that has this root and, and delight. But the reality is that that tree gives as much as it receives. And if you and I are planted like this, God's calling us to bear fruit. Maybe it's not papayas or jackalopes. I don't even know what those are. Those are weird. Mangoes. Maybe it's not mangoes. Maybe, maybe it's the fruit, other fruit that God talks about. Fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Love. Joy. Peace. And God produces those things in us. For us, yes, but also for others. And so we get to see that as we grow like a tree. It's vibrant, full of life, and full of fruit. And it's next to the river that supplies its life. Psalm 46.4 There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Thirsty tree is really glad that it has a stream nearby. Aren't you glad that we have the Word of God that would sustain us, that would give us life, that we get to tap into, that we get to rest in, that we get to be part of? Finally, it says, in all that He does, He prospers. This is going to be a challenge for some of us. Because some of us have an idea, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, we live in America, where the American dream is so closely tied to being a Christian, and so closely tied to this American gospel, that we get these two things intertwined, and we can't separate them. We think that if we are walking in the way of the righteous, that God will give us everything that we want. That if I would just pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm going to be okay. I, can, I mean, it's, it's America. We can do whatever we want. We're free. But the reality is that when God talks about prospering, it's very different from the way that America would define prosper, prosperity. It's even the way that different from maybe the way you and I would define prosperity. For me, I hope prosperous looks like just some quiet time at my house. That would be prosperous. And yet, sometimes I don't get that. For me, it would look like having enough to, to pay the bills. And yet, sometimes we're scratching for that. 
But what God promises in prosperity is that that tree that has deep roots, those roots are going to reach to the stream. And that tree is going to prosper. What does that prospering tree look like it's doing? Well, it's growing. It's bearing fruit. And it's got some leaves that don't wither. That's what trees are supposed to do. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing super special about this tree. It's just being a tree. And yet God's saying that that tree is what prosperity looks like. And so maybe you're, you're asking some questions. Man, I'm not nothing fancy. I'm not special. But the reality is that God's not saying that you're, you're going to be special. He's saying you're going to be His. You're going to be planted by Him. He's going to nourish you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you life. That's what prosperity looks like here. But the wicked, they're not so. But are like shaft that the wind drives away. Now, maybe you don't know what that is. I didn't. I had to look it up. Thankfully, I have a lot of books that tell me all kinds of things about the Bible. So I'm going to share with you what I learned. The chaff is the, the part around the grain that would protect the grain as it's growing, but it's really no good, and it's dead by the time it comes to the to when they would harvest it. And so what they would do is they would, um, and this isn't lost on anyone who would be reading this because many of them are in agricultural societies. And if they're not, if that's not their vocation, they know of people, it is their neighbor's vocation. And so everyone would understand what the psalmist is saying here. But when you harvest, you would, you would bring the harvest and you would put it on a, on a threshing floor and the threshing and the winnowing is where they would take the, the, all of it together and they'd throw it up in the air. And it would usually be on an elevated place, an elevated platform um, on their property so that the wind would, would sweep through there. Because what they found is that the grain is heavy. The grain has weight. And so after it gets thrown up in the air, it falls back down. But the shaft that's dead and lifeless gets blown away by the wind. That's what God says the wicked are like. They're like the shaft that when they get thrown up into the wind, they're just swept away. So you have two very different pictures. One of a tree that it's going to take an act of God to move. And one of shaft that the, the lightest wind will blow it away. And so God's saying, listen, my people, the righteous people, the, the, the ones who are walking in the righteous way, the blessed man is one who is planted by streams of water, the tree that is planted by streams of water. But the wicked are like shafts that are driven away. It's this dead husk. It's weightless and it has no substance. Derek Kidner says that shaft is the ultimate of what is rootless, weightless, and useless. Going back to the counsel of the wicked... The psalmist is saying, listen, all of that counsel that you would receive would be fruitless, rootless, weightless, and useless. So you have the, the crux of the psalm, you have the picture of the psalm, and then finally you have the result of the psalm in verses 5 and 6. It says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here we have the fruit or the reward of the psalm. It's clear that the way of the wicked leads to ruin. 
It says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's going to be this separation, much like the, the winnowing or the threshing that takes place between the grain and the chaff. There's going to be a separation of the righteous and of the sinner. The righteous and the wicked. And both will receive a reward. But one will be a really good reward. And one will not be. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perish. The fruit of this reward is a leading to God Himself. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows that path. And He's calling the righteous to walk down that path because He's, he's on that path. He's with them. For the wicked will not be with the righteous. They will be separated from the righteous. This morning I pray that we would press into that. That we would say, man, God, I would just want to be with you. Like my delight, as we see in verse 2, my delight is in knowing you. My delight is in being with you. My delight is meditating on you all the time. I want to know you. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be with you. Well, all of this is really good. We've got two ways. All we've got to do is choose which way we're going to go. Right? And, and obviously, you look at wicked, it looks bad. There's nothing good coming from it. It's got the bad picture about it. I don't want to go that way. I want to walk the righteous way. And so then we... Shane, I need you to go downstairs. Um, and so then we go from... This path, this choice in front of us, right? Looking at who God is. Sorry, give me just a second. Um, there's some things going on outside. Can we just pray? Lord, would you bring peace and rest? Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that would move, that would apply this, this good news that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We can sit here and we can say, okay, so I just got to make the right choice. I just got to be righteous. Walk in righteousness. But the reality is that if we learned anything from Romans you know, 1, we are desperate for a righteousness that we cannot produce ourselves. There's only one righteous person. Romans 3.10 actually says to, and reminds us that there is no one righteous. No, not one. 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality of us being unable to walk the path of righteousness is real. And now we're like, man, well, what, do, what am I left with then? Like, I want to be that tree, and you're telling me I can't be that tree? I want to delight in the law of the Lord, and you're saying I can't do that because I'm not righteous? Here's the beautiful part. We said all of the Psalms and all of Scripture points to Jesus. So when this says, blessed is the man, it's talking about Jesus. There's only one who has walked perfect righteousness. There's only one who has delighted in the Lord. There's only one who's meditated on Him day and night. And it is the Son of God. God incarnate who came and walked perfect obedience and righteousness in life. This is what we have today. This is what's been given to us. The Son of God has walked perfect righteousness. 
We find in Psalm 1, it's like the rest of Scripture, it points to Jesus. Luke 24, 44 says that Jesus, as after He had risen, He's walking with His disciples. He's telling them like what, what's taking place, and He's explaining it to them. It's the best Bible lesson anyone's ever gotten. These disciples that would walk on the road to, to Emmaus with Jesus. He says, then He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All of this points to Jesus. That's good for Jesus because he gets to be happy, but what about the rest of us sinners? (laughs) What about the rest of us unrighteous people that are on the path of the wicked that's leading to ruin? Well, we enter the way of the righteous through the work of the righteous one, Jesus. Fesco, in his commentary on Songs of a Suffering King, says this, How is anyone righteous? The answer comes from the earliest chapters of the Bible when God declared Abraham righteous by faith in the promise of the Redeemer to come because of his faith in Jesus. Genesis 15.6 Christ was the one who did not walk, stand, or sit in the council path or seat of the wicked. Christ delighted Himself in the law of His heavenly Father. Not only was He completely obedient to it, but He also meditated upon it day and night. Jesus told His disciples, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to finish His work. That's the Jesus that you and I have today. He's the one who walked the path of righteousness. He's the one who's planted beside the streams of living water. He's the one that's bearing fruit even now. Thousands of years after He ascends into heaven, He's still bearing fruit. He's producing a bride by His Spirit and through His Word. This is the God who is doing it. How are we connected to that? I love 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, laid out clearly for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All, is, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, you and I become the blessed one who walks walks in perfect righteousness. You see, our union with Christ is taken by faith. Today, if you would put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, then you too stand with Him. You're grafted into Him. You're part of the tree that's planted by the streams of living water. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we see even in the Psalms, even in the Old Testament. It points to Jesus, a truth that has come. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing. The gospel isn't like this one-time place where we just are admitted onto the road and then now we've got to depend on our own ability to walk on this road of righteousness. Jesus put us on the road and now we've got to go down it and don't, don't mess up. Don't fall off to the left or the right. Don't walk with sinners. Don't sit with them. Don't stand with them. No, the gospel is how we live. It's not just the admission onto the road. It's the way we walk on the road. John 15, 
4 and 5 say this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, abide in me. Abiding is a constant. It's a daily. It's an over and over. It's where we live, where we have our habitation. It's where we, where we rest. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. See, the beauty is that today because we are in Christ. If you have said, man, my hope is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. My life is not my own. He's paid for it by His blood. As we read in verse 19, counting, not counting their trespasses against Him, He was reconciling us to Himself. Then we are a part of the vine. We're attached to Him. We're with Him. We rest in Him. We abide in Him. And because we are in Him, our lives should look like the righteous one, the blessed one, the happy one that is walking along the path of righteousness. See, that's the beauty. Now we get to emulate Christ. We don't do it ourselves, but because He's walked down that path and walked in perfect righteousness, you and I actually get to meditate on God's Word. We get to take our delight in who He is. We get to rest in Him. We get to encourage one another. We get to walk in faith and in trust and have joy. You see, Jesus is the embodied Word of God and we delight in Him. We see the law of God, the instruction and the counsel of God in the person of Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see the fullness of all of the law, all of Scripture, everything that, that God has been calling us to and pointing to since the very beginning of creation, it's found in Jesus. And in the same way, when we hear and read the law of God, it points us to Jesus, the one who has come and fulfilled His law. I want to finish with this quote from Fesco again. It says, in Luke 6, 43-44, he says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. You see, this imagery reappears in the closing chapters of the Bible and symbolizes none other than Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the last Adam who stands in the midst of his heavenly Father, surrounded by the saints. The saints. It's you and I, if we're in Christ. The saints, the righteous people of God. Those who are planted by the river of life and yield the fruit of the Spirit in season. Rejoice that Christ is the blessed and righteous man and that He, by His life, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension, makes us what we have been declared by faith alone in Him to be a righteous and fruit-bearing people. Man, thank God. Thank God that He has grafted us into that tree and that today you and I get to stand and be part of that, a righteous, fruit-bearing people. I pray that we would walk in that with a confidence today. If you're struggling with sin, I pray that God would, would, would remind you again of who you are as a blood-bought saint, one that He has purchased by His blood, by His body. Even as we go and take communion, I pray that we would remember that. Like God has done this work, and He has called us to be a people, a righteous people, who would delight in Him, and who would know Him and trust Him. Amen?
God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Psalm 1. We thank you for the gift of, of all of the Psalms, Lord, that we would get to, to sing, that we get to read, that the, the poetry of it, the beauty of it would um, speak to our hearts, Lord. God, I thank you for the person of Jesus. I thank you that Psalm 1 is not a, a call to us to figure this out, but it is pointing to the one who has walked perfect righteousness and that if we are grafted into Him, if we are in Him because of what He has done, if we've taken hold of Him by faith, then our lives too will look like a tree that's planted by streams of water that would bear fruit, that would give life, that would be prosperous. So Lord, we thank You for these promises today. God, I pray that we would not be deceived, that we would not um, listen to the world and its, its lies, the blatant or the very deceptive. Lord, I pray that we would um, press into your word to hear your truth, that we would hear your instruction, hear your law, and delight in it. God, may we be a people of righteousness for your glory. We thank you that you're doing that through your Son, by the power of your Spirit. In each of us today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.